Today's reading is from Galatians chapter 3 verses, we're looking at verses 19 to 25 and we're on the fifth, the sixth sermon of Galatians now and we're coming into the, the real nitty gritty of what Paul is trying to get at with the Galatian churches. Here it is, the word of God. Chapter 3, verse 19, we're starting at. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to, the, to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you were baptised into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together again. Thank you for this week we've had and thank you that we now come once again to your word, the Bible, and learn more about you. Father, reveal to us this night something of your spirit, something of your plan, something of what you have in store for us. Because we know our hope is found in you, Father. And Lord, Tonight I especially pray for those who are lost, who don't know who you are. It lies heavy on my heart, Father, and I pray that your spirit, your almighty hand, will just come to them and surround them and comfort them. Father, you are a God of love waiting patiently to call us home. And Lord, I just pray that those who don't know you and those who encounter you in some way or other, even if it's during this serving this sermon or they listen to this podcast I just pray that your spirit will be with them and you will bring them into your family if I say something tonight Lord that reaches someone in some way bless them Father and help me honour your word and Father I pray in thanks for the resources and the books that I use to write these speeches and these sermons because if I didn't have them in their direction I would struggle and Father, I know as I gather these books around my desk, I am reading years worth of theology that great and powerful theologians who have studied your word forever have pulled your meaning to get something of what you are trying to tell us, Father. Help us, Sovereign Lord, to take meaning from them. You are the giver of your understanding. You teach us your wisdom. So come to us tonight, we pray. Guide my words and my prayers, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
In modern Scotland this year, crime in Scotland has actually, compared to the rest of the UK, hit an all-time low. However, despite that, there have been a slight increase in violent and sexual crimes. And the latest figures, according to the Scottish Government, show that there were around 240,000 crimes committed in Scotland. The exact number is actually 246,243 crimes. The crime detection rate in Scotland sits at around 50%. And it got me thinking about what the point actually is in having laws when there were still 200,000 and odd crimes being committed. And that was despite there being a law in place. And today's sermon I wanted to focus a bit on that theme. What actually is the purpose of the law? And more importantly, what is the purpose of God's law, which is where we will focus our attention this evening? And I went to find a few interesting definitions of what law is. And I found the most, probably the most cohesive and most really easily understood one, funnily enough, on the American government's website. It says this, In a free society, each and every man lives under a rule of law, as opposed to a whim-ridden rule of men. Such a rule of law has only one purpose, to protect the rights of the smallest minority that has ever existed, the individual. It's actually a really nice phrase. And it clearly comes some, it has clearly got some biblical um, origin in there somewhere. Such a rule of law has only one purpose, to protect the rights of the smallest minority, minority that has ever existed, the individual. If our man-made law cannot protect us against crimes, can't stop us having nearly 200,000 crimes committed in a population of 5 million, does the same rule apply to God's law? In Galatia, at the time of this letter, you know already that Paul has been writing about the comparisons between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. And he's been shedding light on the old promises and how they are part, how they are part of the new promise, but not the same as the new promise. And that's really important that we, that we understand that. So what he's saying is that they are part of the new promise, but they're not the same as the new promise. The new promise being the covenant and the testament agreed in Christ Jesus. Actually, when you look at our human definition of human of, of the law that I just read, it's not too far from what God is saying to us through his own law, the commandment given to Moses. The law which God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai a few months after bringing the people out of Egypt has been the victim of some very bad press in the past 700 years. In fact, Moses is quite unpopular when you start to delve into Deuteronomy and Leviticus and in some ways it's 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 one of the key books that have split the Church of Scotland defining what homosexuality is and the you know the, the place of women in the church and how they should keep silent and this that and the next thing so there's whole hosts of problems that come from the law and the reason for that generally in terms of the the, the view that we have of Moses is that there's quite a significant amount of confusion relating to it. Okay, so 
we can't quite, as, I mean, as a human race, we can't quite get our head around the apparent contradictions we read. You know, if you look at Romans 6, 14, for example, you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. And then you read just a couple of pages back. Do we overthrow the law by faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So you have got two, like, com completely opposing views sometimes. And Paul genuinely um, goes into detail in Romans, and, and we will study Romans at some time, but... You know, I, we can see where those 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 human confusions come from by those contradictions, and and it's only by by through talking about them that we really, really get to the deeper understanding, and that's what I hope to achieve tonight. Now, I will say this: I have found my journey through Galatians so far to reveal so much more about God than I could ever imagine. You know, I set out the task of the Walk and Talk Ministries to look specifically at my own journey into ministry and how I've decided what my calling is and what I plan to do in the future with that and Galatians was recommended to me because it's literally you know the very very first letter he's probably written to the churches that he set up and it's allowed me to to, to understand the importance of Paul's ministry you know the focus on the poor is a central theme I've learned how to how a pastor actually ministers his congregation. You know, sometimes he's really direct and other times he's really loving and compassionate. And I've witnessed firsthand how these living words, the emotions that this pastor goes through when things go wrong. I've, I've learned that God, you know, in his infinite love came to earth in Jesus and his gift of salvation to us is totally and completely grace. And, you know, Paul makes that so evident. That there's nothing and nobody that can add or take away. And I have absolutely, and I hope you have too so far, absolutely loved relearning the truths of my faith. The truth that I am completely helpless without God. My Christian life has been going on now for nearly 13, 14 years and I have been up and down and I have desired God one day and other days I've not desired God and there's times when I've been completely away from him but I have been totally refreshed in the fact that Paul is telling us we are completely helpless without God and I want to go back in time a bit to look at Abraham and the glorious gospel promise he was given fulfilled in Jesus you know and when I was studying this, I wanted to go back and look at that because I, I just love how Abraham has this innocent and loving faith that he demonstrates to us, you know, without law, without Jesus, without anything right there and then to be completely obvious to him. He just simply has faith and it's such a huge, important lesson to learn. And I think this journey so far has, is garnishing that in us all, I hope. Um... And I suppose through it all, through in at least the last four sermons I've written, I felt that there's been a huge weight hangs over me to call out, to ask the question that Paul starts in our heads today. What was the point of the law? I feel like we talk about it all the time in these last four sermons, but now we're actually going to talk about it as to why it exists. And I want to explore that with you. I want to go into the heart of understanding what Paul says, the reasons for the law and what I think we need to do with within that is show that Moses isn't exactly set apart from the covenants made with Abraham and Jesus. 
you know, there's, I mean, depending on what you read, some theological teachers assert that the covenant of Abraham and of Jesus were completely different to the covenant made with Israel and Sinai. And that Abraham was shown grace before law and Jesus established a new covenant based on grace at his death on the cross, which excluded us from trying to fulfil the law, which was kind of interpreted over and over by Jewish scholars into some kind of job description to obtain salvation. So you have two opposing views that sort of come together and actually the law was eventually translated, as I was saying there, into a, a, like a job description. Pages and pages and pages of thousands and thousands of laws that defined the Ten Commandments that God gave. So that's the question. Why then the law? What was God doing by giving the law to Moses in the first place? And it's such a heavy question because of its importance. If we don't know why the law was given, then how will we ever understand God? By talking about this very subject, Paul is taking us right back to those foolish Galatians and the astonishing distortions wrought by them as they sought to muddy the water of the gospel with works to obtain, to obtain salvation and grace. And I think there's, in my opinion, and I'm looking at a host of different um, original theology here, I think there's two main core answers as to why the law was given in our reading and that is a deliberate way for Paul to be straight up with the important facts in answering the question and he kind of answers it directly at the start and it's good that he does that so why then the law? Galatians 3 verse 19 why then was the purpose of the law? what was the purpose of the law? so firstly it was added because of transgressions in other words, Paul is saying that because of the indwelling sin, because of the nature of a humanity, God put forward these laws not to just to direct, but also to highlight sin. You see, without the law, you wouldn't really know anything about your sin. If you didn't have the law telling you to honour your mother and father, then you wouldn't realise you dishonoured your mother and father. You see what I mean? And the second reason was to be there until the offspring of the promise had come. So, you know, it depends on what Bible verse or Bible version you use. But I love the one that talks about, you know, we were, um, I suppose what you're, you know, what it says that we were, that we were actually um, looked after by the law. You know, we were kind of, um, it was a guardian for us. And I love that verse. In the verse I've got, in the version I've got, um, it talks about being supervised by the law, which is really, really beautiful too. Um, and what that means is that the promise of Abraham that was given to his descendants in the multitude of the stars, um, that was promised and that was fulfilled directly through Jesus, the promised seed. And the grace of God was to flow through that. And those are the two things I think really, really stand out to me as the reasons for the law. I mean, the wording there could have you think that the law was there to increase sin. If you look at the the, the second part, it was added because of transgressions. You know, in some verses, it, you know, it says to increase transgressions. You look at Romans 5.20, we'll just go back to that. 
Now this is sort of a, a verse that, that just reiterates what I'm trying to say there about the increasing of sin through the law. So 5, five verse 20, um, we have it there, it says, The law was added so that the, the trespass might increase. You know, what we're really saying here is that before the law there was always, since the fall of man, an internal rebellion against God. Those of us who argue against God in our head all the time, those who hear the hissing voice of the sermon, did God really say that? Those kind of things is what Paul's saying in that verse. You know, that until... So think about it this way. If you have an illness and you go to the doctor and you listen but you don't believe a thing he says and you sort of nod your head and you demonstrate that you are listening to what he says, you will never fully demonstrate your lack of faith in him until you bin your prescription and don't take the medication. That's when your internal doubt becomes a physical external doubt. And it's the actions that God highlights through the law that show up and increase the focus on our sins, which increases the trespasses. And what I love about Galatians here is that Paul actually opens this passage with that exact question, like it's pulled right from the minds of the Galatian Jews that he's speaking to. I know for a fact, you can tell straight away with this letter that he is exactly speaking to two classes of people, the Jewish Christians and those that are listening to them. So the two questions he's got here really in the in our chapter is, you know, why the law first and then the next one in verse 21 is the law opposed to the promises of God? And just to define that a little too, what we've what we've heard already teaches us that God's promise was there at Abraham before the law was given, and it's still there after Jesus rose again from the dead. It's a constant. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't cleanse sin. Verse 22 you know, says, um, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. The law, the word, declares the world sinful. It pulls the sin out, but it doesn't clean it. You take that and you remember the promise to Abraham to increase his family to millions. In Jesus, that's being fulfilled through his sacrificial work. You see the cross opened up access to the Lord. The curtain was pulled away from the Holy of Holies. That which was previously unattainable now becomes accessible. Because it's Jesus that came to cleanse the sin. And when you start to, when he says that I didn't come to replace the law, I came to fulfil it. That's exactly what he's talking about. We're no longer, as verse 25 puts it, under the supervision of the law. We're no longer under the guardianship. We're not being looked after by the law. It comes from, the, the, the word that they use there in the Bible actually comes from the um, Greek padiagos or padagogos, which means sort of a, a parent or like a child discipliner or a child's leader. So it's really showing, it's really illustrating the infancy of our sinful, our, our spiritual natures that God is trying to direct. You know, very much with a child in, in, in their young age, you direct and tell more than you show. So 
telling children not to eat this or not to do that or not to say that or not to wear that, you know, that, that's very much part of being an infant and that's what God is trying to do through the law. There is something of core importance here though. Why does the law never keep people alive? Why did it just generate and punish sin? And on first look, it seems totally a non-constructive negative act of God. Turn with me again to Romans 8.3. You know, Romans 8.3. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You know, so the law wasn't able to save us because of our weakness. So what does that mean for us? Well, in other words, through the law and because we are in the flesh and because we dwell in the flesh, the law couldn't rid us of the sin. As I was saying earlier, there was no way for the law to clean us. You know, it could only shine a light on it. It could bring it into the open. It can challenge it. All positive things, but it could never take away the sin. The law can never clean the sin. And that's why God used his law to do that. He used it to highlight our sin to us. Highlight the things we do wrong. And I think at this point in time, let's go and look at the Ten Commandments, for example, and we'll just point out what God is saying to us. And I want to highlight the enormity of what these commandments say. And I guarantee you, I will be able to name at least one of your recent, very recent, probably hourly, almost daily sins in the next two minutes as we do this. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods but me. In other words, do you put the TV or a walk with the dog before God, before doing your devotional in the morning, before prayer? Do you pass up on church on a Sunday because you were out the night before? Commandment two, you shall not make for yourself an idol nor bow down to it or worship it. Have you idolised a pop star? Watch them lovingly from the front row or on the TV. Do you buy their perfume or have their posters? Do you act, dress and smell like a Kardashian? Do you meditate waiting for enlightenment? Do you pray to spirits or ancestors or go to mystic or palm leaders? Commandment number three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. When last did you say Jesus Christ when you hit your thumb with a hammer? Or when someone pulls out in front of you in the motorway? Commandment number four, you shall remember and keep the Sabbath day holy. Do you sometimes put off church for something else? Do you learn more about God on a Sunday? Do you know that God Sunday is the Lord's day, the day of rest? Do you rest? Do you shop? Do you buy things? Number five, respect your father and mother. Did you tell your parents to shut up yesterday? Did you tell them that their opinion didn't matter? Did you do something that they told you not to? Did you treat them badly? Did you neglect them? If you have elderly parents, did you neglect to visit them yesterday or this morning because you were wanting to cosy up on the sofa with a cup of tea and a bit of toast? You must not commit murder. When last did you kill someone's soul or break their heart? You must not commit adultery. When last did you admire the guys and the girls in Hollyoaks? Or when last did you did your oofts and wolf whistles sneak out of your mind when walking by another beautiful human being? You must not steal. Did you steal that £2 from the kitchen table that your husband left? Or the £10 note that was under the banana in the, in the, in the fruit bowl? Do you still have your next door neighbour's ladders that you've never returned to them when you were painting the ceiling last year? 
The next one, you must not give false evidence against your neighbour. Did you gossip? Did you speak about so-and-so and what they're up to, what they're claiming, who they're sleeping with or how they're acting? You must not be envious of your neighbour's goods. You shall not be envious of his house, nor his wife, nor anything that belongs to his neighbour. Did you walk the dog past that really nice house down the street? My goodness, how great it would be if you were in it. Did you wish you had the same job as someone on the telly? Or did you say you could do a better job than the person serving you at the new co? Or that the better a better job than your manager is doing? The law, as I've just highlighted, brings out your sin and makes it known. But it doesn't save you. And friends, God reached down to you. And he reached down to all of us out of total grace and total mercy and total love. Verse 23. Galatians verse 23. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. We were totally prisoned up, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. What a beautiful verse. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Friends, what lessons are there tonight from this for us? I think there is some key things that we can take away that I would love you to go away tonight and spend 15 minutes after you listen to this sermon just reading that verse again. Read verse Galatians 3, verse 23. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. God has given over 2,000 years of history to help us see ourselves in failure. He has done everything to show us our dirty, filthy sin and the depth of our state of lost. He's shown us how we are ruled by the things of the world like the Galatians, easily changed and foolish. And we should respond appalled at ourselves and aim to throw away the shackles of the foolishness. We should love and love Christ abundantly more and more and more every day. More than anything and our hearts should be open to welcome him in every minute of every day. It's not acceptable to keep knocking, keep him knocking outside as we drudge around in this sinful muddiness. We've learned that we're entirely dependent, entirely dependent on God's grace to clean us from sin. No law or nothing can do that. The law couldn't do it. God showed us our helplessness through the law. Showed us how stupefied we were. Showed us how much we could not do without him. That we are nothing and have no way out of this locked in sin. This prison. And it is a prison. People who are locked in sin or regular sin or habitual sin are in a prison. If you are addicted to lying or you're addicted to pornography or you're addicted to, you know, looks or, you know, sex or relationships or drugs, you are in prison 
and you have no way out without God because God relieves your helplessness by the wonderful love of Jesus. And we can go back to that wonderful wisdom of God who thought it was right not to let you drown in your own darkness and so washed up and brought our sin to light so that we might see it in all its nastiness. Rather than let you sit there and not even know that your sinning God was gracious enough and wise enough to just throw it all out there in the law. The shall nots and will nots showed you how much you could not. I just made that up tonight, actually. The shall nots and will nots showed you how much you could not do without God. So finally, what if these are among the reasons we don't always get that tidal wave of blessing? Of that revival? What if that is the reason Scotland is not getting the Christian biblically based revival that we need? What if God sees us all standing accused with this sin in our faces in front of the law and we are doing nothing about it? We don't confess Christ, we don't rely on him, we don't pray, we don't read the word. We continue to dwell and belong in the world. If you are a Christian tonight and you are listening to me, and you're listening to these words and you are feeling locked up and held like a prisoner. You have Jesus with the key to let you out. And it's open to anyone. Verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. Every one of you. So let's be a people who stir things up. Who make things move. And have a joy in the grace of Jesus that... Now that her, our faith has come, we can relish in the fact that we are no longer under supervision of a child discipliner, but under love. And that nobody, not a single person, is excluded. Why then the law? To direct you to him you need. To go to the cross, leave yourself there. Leave your guilt hanging there in Jesus and getting back up, looking him in the face, praising him and standing refreshed and renewed, knowing that you with a multitude of others can be one in his family. Verse 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So tonight, friends, you are clothed in Christ. You have the crown of thorns of Christ. You have the robes of Christ. You have the cross of Christ as your own. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. You are all one through Jesus Christ and you were baptised in his name and you are clothed in him. Amen. <laughs>